The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Mark McBride. He's an organic farmer and food service manager at Mountain View Correctional Facility in Charleston, Maine. I learned about his remarkable program in the Impact Justice Food Prison Report. He has also presented at Farm to Institution conferences in the Northeast, where he highlights his revolutionary program. At the correctional facility, Mr. McBride oversees two kitchens and dining facilities, as well as seven and a half acres of intensive vegetable production and a seven-acre orchard featuring 21 varieties of apples and other fruit, as well as the food waste composting project. The food grown by the offenders is incorporated into the facility menu, sold to other facilities, and donated to local food cupboards and pantries. Mr. McBride also started a bakery program where five inmate apprentices bake 100% of all bread and bakery products used to feed between 1,300 to 1,500 meals a day. He has helped initiate food waste composting and intensive vegetable production through the Maine Department of Corrections. Mark and his wife own a diversified organic farm where they have raised pasture-based livestock, fruit, and vegetables for over 20 years. Welcome, Mr. McBride. It's such a pleasure to have you. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, you were highlighted in a food research project paper, and that's where I first learned about your extraordinary work. Tell me, how does an organic farmer make the shift from farm to institution? Was that difficult for you? Well, not really. I mean, the reason that it all took place, my family was running the farm, doing five farmers markets, many CSAs, farm shares, sold to three natural food stores, and that was our whole source of income. My dad was a superintendent of schools. My mom was a teacher. When they got ready to retire, they really wanted to become part of our farm, so they moved and purchased a place that was next to our farm and for the following few years became very involved in what we were doing, helped with farmers' markets and production. And then we ended up getting news that my dad had cancer, ended up with brain cancer, It ended up that he eventually lost use of part of his body and needed some pretty intensive care. We as a family decided that we would do everything we could to keep him at home, to help my mother with this care that was at that point 24 hours a day. And each of us in the family took turns staying 24 hours a day helping. And as that went on. We had to cut out markets. We had to cut out different parts of our revenue to the point where I needed to find something that was a position that I knew my hours. And that's when I went to the correctional facility. I had food service background and eventually worked into the position of the food service manager. 
Well, the fact that you've had such great support within the Department of Corrections to realize this model program, I think is you could be a national model for what could be. And I think that what the Food and Prison Project report really highlighted was the value of the quality of food. They write that food is an integral part of the human experience and that for people who are incarcerated, the normally unhealthy, unappetizing, and often inedible food really robs people of dignity, humanity, and health. And what you're providing to the inmates there in your institution is actually helping them become better members of society after their reentry into the community. So I wanted to kind of go through some of the things that have happened under your leadership. And I think that one of the things that we often hear is the budget for food is so small that we have to rely on this highly processed, low nutritional value food. How did you make it work from a financial perspective? Well, first of all, something you mentioned earlier, I do want to say that none of this would have been even possible unless my warden, Jeff Morin, the commissioner, Randall Liberty, have been supportive on letting me show what was possible if we took some of these practices and made them part of our daily routine. And money is obviously important. We just can't have budgets that are way out of line. But by using some of the ways that we basically had run our family, we do all of our cooking as scratch home-style cooking. We um, have used these type of principles And so we provide real food rather than when I started, there were a lot of things like frozen liquid eggs or egg product, I should say, and then things that were more prefab type of burgers and chicken patties and things like that. And we've gone to using more whole foods. And actually, even though they take more time, we will take whole chickens, we will take vegetables that we're cutting up and processing, and we buy potatoes from a main farmer year-round, and we make all of our own home fries, french fries, potato salad. Any potato product is done out of a whole potato that we process into something else. And those type of principles have helped us not only provide a much more nutrient-dense meal, but they have saved money. And that's one of the things I've tried to help people realize is that if you can put the time into doing some of these things, then you'll see both better quality and money savings. Mm -hmm. And your program, I believe, is a national model in that it has greatly benefited inmate morale. And you've virtually done away with these, what we call legitimate food-based grievances, I can only imagine that based on my perspective as a dietitian, we know that healthy food helps people's physical and mental health. I'm assuming that there are less behavioral incidents, perhaps better sleep patterns, better environmental conditions all around. So that benefits not only the inmates, but also the staff. Yes. When I started, it was not uncommon to have five to seven, eight grievances a week that somebody was not happy with the food that they were getting. And it's not that, like you said, legitimate. I mean, there are obviously always going to be people that 
have complaints, but we try to deal with these and help them to see. Some people are put on special diets from our dietitian. They may not be pleased with what that entails, but that's something we have to follow that our dietitian sets forth and we're given leeway on some of the different proteins and some of the different things that we give. But if someone has an allergy or, say, a low-sodium diet or a gluten-free diet, then that does limit what we can provide. But we try to be as creative as possible. And just the whole food part of it really has made it to where if you are going to be on those type of things, at least if you're getting real chicken and real beef and real vegetables and real potato products and things. And then the bread has made such a difference. I mean, it's not uncommon to have, when we first started doing this, to have people stop me in the hall and the residents say, look, I just want you to know, getting those rolls and those things have just been really a treat for us. And it's definitely changed behavior. It, it's helped some of our captains who've been here for 20 plus years will tell that they just know it makes a difference. And when people go back and they're happy after a meal, there's a lot less likely to have any problems. Mm. Well, I want to jump back to the cost issue too, because of course, when there are outbreaks where there are behavioral problems, that's a cost also to the system. But you've also been able to save money while supporting the economy, the agricultural economy in Maine, the data I have, the statistic, and you can correct me if this is old, but the data I saw was that you were able to provide 30% of local food purchases. So you've got to be bringing tax dollars back into the local agricultural economy by way of local food purchases. Yes, our commissioner, under the guidance of the governor, has come out with a initiative to make it to where by 2025, we're providing 20% as far as any state agency. And before that had even ever come out here at Mountain View, we were already spending more than 20% of our budget on local foods. And I can't give you this year's because we're not exactly finished on tallying, but last year it was pretty close to 30% of our budget was spent on local foods. We have made arrangements with local farmers. We've made arrangements with Maine Grains, which is a grain milling facility here in the state. And Amber Lamke that owns that had come and seen what we had done with our baking program and had provided a flour that she mills. It's called Run of the Mill. And we end up purchasing that and use that in our baking of all of our breads. And we um, make all our desserts. We make all of our bread products, our buns, our rolls, English muffins, bagels, and these type of things, the potatoes that we get from the farmers. We have a Pineland Dairy cheese facility here. I talked to them about what type of things would be hard for them to get rid of, and they told us that a lot of the sampling things that they do and testing, they have to do batches of like a 1,000 pounds, and then they have these blocks that are left over, totally good, main milk cheese, and we get cheddar and Monterey Jack and Colby and all these different feta cheese and different things. And we end up buying it for less than what we were paying for the processed American cheese product that is not one of my favorite things. 
Well, and it's also less nutritious. I know that I had reviewed some jail menus for a county jail here locally. And when I realized that the detainees were not getting real whole dairy products, the red flag went up for me as a dietitian saying, well, how are they going to get the nutrients that are the leader nutrients in these dairy products? So you are truly providing wholesome nutrition along with helping your local food producers. In addition to that, the fact that you're able to use, say, produce that might not be as attractive at a farmer's market or a local grocery store, you know, maybe there's a little blemish on a cucumber, for example. The food is still totally fine, perfectly wholesome. You're able to use that produce that might have gone to waste into your food service program. Yes, we've sought out with farmers that I know that provide for local grocery chains and these places, and their product has to be an A-grade product. But if there's even a scar, it may not even be a problem in production, but just in handling where there's things that don't meet that 100% visual type of A-grade product that they have to provide, they will allow us to purchase those type of items at a very discounted level that, you know, is better than if they had to go put that in a pile out just to compost out behind their farm. They can end up providing us that at a much discounted level, and it helps them and it helps us. Mm, That's just remarkable, Mr. McBride. We are midway through, so let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, We are joined by Mr. Mark McBride, Organic Farmer and Food Service Manager at Mountain View Correctional Facility in Charleston, Maine, and you are listening to Food Sleuth Radio. I'm glad you brought up compost because in addition to saving perfectly good produce from going into a compost pile, you are also saving, the number I have is $125,000 in waste removal fees, something we don't typically think about, but that those fees are saved because you're composting food waste at your own facility. Yeah, that figure actually was, that was one of the only things in the report that actually was mislabeled. That figure was at the main state prison. I had gone down to help them come up with a composting program their fees at one point were like $142,000 for their tipping fees for waste. And the commissioner, Randall Liberty, that was the warden there at the time, had asked if I would come and help come up with a plan to be able to compost food waste because they were told by the waste business that one of the biggest parts of their tonnage was coming from the waste in the food service area. And so we were able to come up with a plan to compost this food waste and then have a product that was usable in the gardens and would save a lot of money. And those figures, I think that the 125 was probably statewide, but I know that it was in the vicinity of like $70,000 at that one facility alone. That is just remarkable. Now, you've also got within the main Department of Corrections a beekeeping program, a master gardener program. And to me, what that says is that you are helping detainees within the whole prison system really have life skills 
that can be applied when they are released. And I'm assuming, and I don't have any figures to prove this, but I would only assume that your recidivism rates are much lower because of the kind of interventions you've been able to see within the entire Department of Corrections there. It's definitely valuable at all the different facilities. There are differences in in how and, and the models that take place, but there is uh, beekeeping, there is help from Cooperative Extension with the Master Gardener Program at the Maine State Prison. Our commissioner is actually had gone through the Master Gardener Program himself, so that is a big part of what takes place at the Maine State Prison. At our facility, basically, we do everything at our facility organically, and so the training that I received from different people throughout the years that I had put in place at our farm, we end up teaching that at our facility. Each facility has vocational technical instructors that are assigned that are for agriculture. So there is a training aspect and through the agriculture, the kitchen, the bakery program, these are all things that do benefit the residents that go out and whether or not they go into that field or it's just a matter of being able to help provide gardens for their family or be able to cook meals, then these things are are definitely important. Well, you are, again, to be commended. The other issue that comes up when we talk about these kinds of programs and integrating them into the current system is that it's the cost of labor. Maybe you have to have more supervision, but you've got individuals who are incarcerated doing the work in the kitchen and with the gardens and such. Tell me a little bit about the staffing and how easy or difficult that has been to manage. Well, when I started, we did most of the cooking as far as my state employee staff did most all the cooking. What we've gone to is now in each kitchen, I have 10 or 12 incarcerated residents that are here that are trained to have each different type of and when I say different, basically skill set, I mean, we have people that do all the serving and they take care of getting everything ready service-wise. We have people that cook the meals. We have the bakers who bake all the bread products. And we have to obviously stay within the dietitian's guidelines, but we are able to do this in a way that we can provide these type of meals and they get the benefit of that training. But one of the things that we've done is I think it's important if they can actually train someone, they actually learn even better what their position entails. So once it was set up and the training took place, and I'm still involved in it, but they train and mentor the ones that are going to take over when they leave, and that's been a really neat thing to see. Oh, absolutely. What a bonus to any individual in terms of helping getting their lives back on track. And I think if we look at these correctional facilities as truly rehabilitative, then we have to look and focus on food and farming. And I think that the Maine Department of Corrections is so lucky to have an organic farmer in your position. We have to talk about COVID because I know that that has, the virus has thrown a wrench in so many of our food systems in terms of the food chain getting resources into the facility as well as having people work and eat. How are you managing that in your facility? It's definitely been much more difficult. We 
came up with a plan where we would feed half of the residents in the dining hall. We had to move tables and chairs so that they were distanced. And then the other half is fed in their dorm or unit. And the way we've worked that out to try to make it as fair as possible is that one day the ones that are fed in for the day would be there. The other half come to chow. The next day it changes and we just go back and forth. And that has, it's worked as well as possible. And we've made it through. We've tried to do as good a job at trying to make some special meals possible during this time. One thing COVID has made it hard to get certain things, but on the other hand, some of the food providers have had restaurants close, schools close, and they have called us and said, look, we have certain items. If you're interested, we could make available at discounted rates. So we've tried to really be proactive in contacting them regularly and purchasing some things that we ended up during last spring when it was really hard restaurants being closed they offered us like whole prime ribs for like two dollars and 59 cents a pound so we were able to purchase prime rib and do some special meals and actually it wasn't a whole lot different than what we would have paid for hamburg so we try to just take advantage of those things and do the best during this time Right. Well, I know that the COVID-19 supply chain disruptions have been significant nationwide with lots of food going to waste. So the fact that you're able to intervene in that waste is truly remarkable as well. I was reading an article in the Farm to Institution blog, and I'll provide a link to this to our listeners, that you were able to purchase whole free-range local Maine turkeys at a significantly discounted price of 59 cents per pound. So again, you're able to recognize the Thanksgiving holiday at the time and help inmates feel like they are, they're human beings. We want to get them healed. We want to get them well and be contributors to society and really at a great cost savings to taxpayers. And I think that's important for us to make that link that the good work that you're doing is saving costs at the end of the day. You also have a situation where inmates are allowed to be creative. So, for example, with your bakery program, you've had things that are just allowing a an inmate to say, you know, let's let's do a swirl with peanut butter into our cake. Tell me a little bit about your ability to allow those who are incarcerated to have some creative outlets in the kitchen. Well, as long as it's something that we can do that isn't going to greatly increase our costs, then we've had many ideas from the the residents that we've actually put into place. I mean, during the whole uh, start of the COVID protocol and having to feed in, we were using paper trays and their their cost is, you know, obviously much greater than what would have been if we just had a tray that we could wash through the dishwasher. But one of the residents came up with the idea that we didn't have anybody going out for work release so that the coolers that we had that usually went out for people going to their jobs were available. And so we started actually, instead of using the paper trays, we actually were able to put everything into a cooler and have each person get their own cooler with their meal. And it ended up saving a lot with that. And and some of these different things, we saved so much being able to do all of our own bakery items that 
for us to do something special. Most of our cake doesn't ever have a frosting or anything on it, so having something like a peanut butter swirl in there once in a while is, is just a big treat for them. Well, and it also helps morale and the nutritional aspect of those foods. And I think that if we really do look at food as medicine for both mental and physical health and look at full-cost accounting, I think the main Department of Corrections is really to be commended for their progressive advancements. And I wish there was a way for us to really do an accounting to see how much this is saving taxpayers. We have a few minutes left, and I want to open the conversation to you. I've certainly peppered you with lots of questions on my end. What would you like our listeners to know about the work that you've done? Well, in the past, I've said when I've spoke at different meetings and conferences that it's really not rocket science. Basically, what led me to start doing these things were that this is the way that we raised our family. And, you know, a lot of people go to McDonald's and Burger King and fast food. And the truth is that it's fairly expensive when you do that kind of thing. But most people don't want to take the time to actually prepare real food. And when I started in this position and started to come up with some of these ideas, what led me to that was the fact that basically I it was the same way that we fed our children is that it's much cheaper to take a whole chicken or some of these whole foods and and yes they may be expensive overall but when you look at taking that and breaking that down and and actually making a meal out of those things you can actually save money if you're willing to put the time in and we had incarcerated people that were more than happy to you know for one our our people are paid for what they do as far as their positions, but that labor was put into something that they could feel positive about and be happy that they were actually providing these type of meals with some creativity to their fellow residents. And it just, once the buy-in happened, it's just really been great to see. Mm. This has been called purpose-driven incarceration in some reports. And It clearly is beneficial. I have a quote, actually, from Commissioner Randall Liberty from the Food and Prison Project. He says, now that people are getting better nutrients, they sleep better, eat better, feel better, work better, everything. And that is surely what dietitians nationwide are looking for and what we as a society, I think, value, certainly that food as medicine. Mr. McBride, I will provide links to the Food in Prison Project report. I'll provide a link to the Farm to Institution Project blog in which your program is highlighted. I do, as you did earlier. I want to also commend your warden. I want to commend all of your staff, your captains. I want to commend Randall Liberty for the vision that he had in making a difference and in setting a national model I want to thank you for all of your time that you've given me today. And I think we've got to close because we're out of time, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. Mark McBride. He's an organic farmer, and he's the food service manager at Mountain View Correctional Facilities in Charleston, Maine. I learned about his remarkable program in the Impact Justice Food 
in prison report. I'll provide a link to that. You've also presented at farm to institution conferences. Again, you are overseeing kitchens, dining facilities, acres of intensive vegetable production, orchards, and a food waste composting project, all of which make it better for those who are incarcerated, those who are the staff at your facilities, and of course, taxpayers. So thank you so much for being my guest, Mr. McBride. It's been a real honor. Thank you, Melinda. It's my privilege. Mm -hmm. 